So the second or third episode I ever did on the podcast was about me. After a few months, I grew to dislike that episode more and more, so I took it down. I also never wanted this podcast to be about me. I wanted it to be about Mormon history and Mormon doctrine. Well, fast forward a year and a half, and I've had several requests for that episode. Interestingly enough, about that same time, I was approached by Greg Knight about him interviewing me for his magazine, The Fundamentalist. So I thought, well, let's kill two birds with one stone here and combine the two. So today I'm publishing that interview. So if you ever wanted to know how it is I got behind this mic, here you go. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, search out the blog post, and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character. Okay, just a couple of quick announcements here. If you're looking for a place to attend sacrament meeting and don't know where to go, I want you to reach out to me. Me and others stand ready to help you find a spiritual home, whether that's a new church, a gathering spot of independence, or even if you just need a soft place to land for a time to learn how to have sacrament meeting in your own home. Myself and others stand ready to help you find that place. All you gotta do is just drop me a line at mormonrenegade at gmail.com and we'll quickly reach out to you to help you find the place you want and need to be. Next, I have felt for a while now that the sisters haven't had a good place to go to have their questions answered without a bunch of dudes creeping around. To fill this need, my wife Tanya has set up a Facebook group just for women to talk about questions about fundamentalism. The name of that group is Mormon Fundamentalism for Women. Now, just a warning. If you're a dude thinking about trying to jump on this site, I'm going to give this to you in my best Liam Neeson impression. I have a certain set of skills, and I'll find you, and I will publicly mock you endlessly, without mercy, for many, many weeks. So whether you're a fundamentalist woman seeking sisterhood or a woman investigating fundamentalism, this place is for you. Again, the name of that Facebook group is Mormon Fundamentalism for Women. This is novel. I'm not sure I like it a whole bunch, but it's novel. So 
we're going to do something a little bit different. So I, uh, I've been getting some requests of people that want to have an episode that talks about me a little bit. And I'm not super excited about it, to be honest with you, because I've went out of my way to make the podcast not about me. But I get the the desire to want to know who it is is talking on the other end of the mic. So I get it. Um, for this, I brought on um, Greg Knight. Now, Greg helps me out, will be starting to help me out on uh, the news program. Uh, we, we're, we're changing some things up there, and we're going to tighten some things down and and try to give you your money's worth. But since Greg has like journalistic chops, having worked for the media and stuff um, before, I thought he was probably the perfect one to do this. So at this point, I'm just going to turn it over to Greg. Greg, how you doing? Oh, great, David. How are you doing? How was your day? It was good. It's good. Productive. Excellent. Excellent. Same here. And, you know, I really want to thank you, too, because this is really a collaborative effort that we're doing. Because, you know, of course, me along with Chad, we have the Fundamentalist Online. And, mm -hmm. you know, the vast majority of what we talk about today at some point in the near future is going to be put out there for folks to read online as well. If they, you know, maybe don't have the bandwidth to listen to the podcast, well, they can sure as heck read it. Sure. So it's going to be a fun time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, David, I guess the first question, and, you know, it's it's one that's on everyone's mind who I believe ever encounters Mormonism, and that is, what was your first exposure to Mormonism? And maybe you could talk about how it changed your life. Yeah, so got to go back to kind of a pivotal moment when I was a kid. Growing up, my dad was my best friend. I mean, you know, a lot of kids say, you know, the old man was kind of an ass. I didn't have that experience. My dad was great. Um, my only complaint is I didn't have him around long enough or what I perceived should have been long enough. And um, he passed when I was 13 back in 1991, I believe. And um, I remember, so so my dad was kind of, oh, he was, he, he believed in God, but he wasn't really religious, right? Um, he just kind of felt like, he, he didn't have a whole lot of, um, he didn't have a, a lot of uh, time for hypocrisy. And so what he saw in a lot of organized religion was just that, a lot of hypocrisy, and he just didn't have time for it. Um, so we just, we, we, we were always raised with the idea that, yes, God is real, but we didn't attend Sunday school or anything like that. We didn't have a church we called our own, that sort of thing. So the night he passed, um, we had good friends that lived uh, next to us. Uh, named Donna and Charles, and they were a sweet couple. Um, I didn't grow up knowing either of my grandparents. Um, I did know my my mom's adoptive father for for a while, but not very long. So really, at that point, Donna and Charles were the closest thing we, you know, I imagined grandparents would be. And Donna went to the hospital with my mom when when there was something going on. We were at school and we came home, and uh, Charles, you know, there's just a note on the table that said, "Hey." Um, go go next door to, to Charles' house. He'll feed you dinner. Had pizza. Um, 
I remember we we just kind of were were watching basketball, if I remember correctly. It was back when Jordan was really tearing it up in 91 for the Bulls. And we were watching a Bulls game. And um, went to sleep. And then about 3.30 in the morning, we get woke up. And it's my mom and Donna and Charles and two guys I'd never seen before and my siblings. And... um. I just remember my mom said, your dad's been sick for a long time. Uh, he, he struggled with heart disease quite a bit. And uh, she said, he doesn't have to suffer anymore. And I knew what that meant, but she hadn't said it yet. And then she just kind of said he passed away. And I didn't cry like right then, right? That that was something I, I remember thinking in the moment. That felt weird. Um, and I just was like, but but I started to feel almost this panicky feeling, right? I don't know how to to ex- describe it. And I remember I was like, I'm, I'm going home. I'm going home to my room, to my own space. And I was about just walking up the steps. And I remember it just hit me like, like a tsunami. I was never going to see my dad again. And I I let out kind of this yell that even shocked me a little bit. And this pastor, so the two guys I didn't recognize, they were pastors of Donna and Charles's church. And I don't want to disparage them. I don't think that they were trying to be um, rough or anything like that. I just think it's what they believed looking back on it. But I, I remember I just kind of dropped my stuff and I sat on the porch and wept. And this pastor just sat down next to me and at 13, he must have thought I was a little foul mouth puke because I remember I looked at him. I'm like, who the hell are you? And he uh, he just said, well, well, I'm a I'm I'm a pastor of the church that Don and Charles goes to. I'm like, OK, so you can answer some questions. What happens to my dad now? Where's my dad? And he just said, you know, if if he didn't turn his life over to Jesus Christ right before he died, uh, we're really not sure what happens. Um, later I discovered that that meant he's, he's essentially lost, right? He he's going to hell and that didn't sit right with me, Greg, not one bit. And so I, I was a weird kid. I, I really was, I, about high school, I started like, I was the kind of kid that would go get high in my car, blow away a fatty in my car at lunchtime while listening to um rush limbaugh and that you know and then i might read the quran or um study the torah a little bit or the Bhagavad Gita, right and just trying to get those answers and nothing ever fit now i was a bit of a partier in school as well and i remember um i had a good butt friend uh named lee who was a mormon and he found out I was doing like this church tour, right? Because I would go from church to church. I found uh, a quasi-mosque in Boise that I went to once. I, I visited a synagogue. I I looked at uh, at Hinduism. I looked at Buddhism. There was a there was a Buddhist temple just in the neighboring, neighboring town over in Oregon. And so I, I I went to them all. And I remember once Lee says, well, you're going to look at my religion, right? And I'm like, no, I don't see how stop, you know, how if I quit drinking coffee, that's going to help anything. 
And uh, it wasn't until, you know, I was, I was uh, 18 and I met my wife and she wasn't real active in the LDS church, but she was raised Mormon. And I remember there was one day we were taking a drive after we were picking out colors, I think, like fabrics or something for the wedding. I didn't care. My wife was just hot and I was like, whatever, whatever you want, it's fine. And uh, I remember on, on that ride, she said, hey, I got a question for you. I'm like, sure. She's like, I think I'd like to raise our kids in the LDS church. And I'm like, um, that's great. I don't have a problem with that. Mormons are cool. Some of my best designated drivers were Mormons. And she's like, okay, uh, don't you think you should know what they're being taught? And I'm like, absolutely not. Because by this time, I kind of washed my hands. I believed that there was a God, but I believed he was more like the God that the deists taught, right? That he was a clockmaker, that he just kind of created the world, he wound it up, and then he just kind of becomes uninvolved, if that makes sense. Maybe with a, a few exceptions, but for the most part, uninvolved. And I uh, I was like, I, I, I have no desire, no desire at all. And... Um, I remember she just kind of said, well, it would go a long ways in making my mom feel better. I was like, oh crap. I was like, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll take those discussions, right? This is 95. So there's no preach my gospel. This is, this is pamphlets, right? This is reading material, very structured. And I said, fine, fine. But here's the caveat. If you, if anyone asked me if I want to be baptized, anybody, I'm out. I'm out. You will not see me. We will be done. I'm happy to sit there and have a discussion with them, but I am not joining it because Mormons are weird. I mean, you're hot, honey, but Mormons are weird. And uh, she said, fair enough. So this arrangement gets made that, that they can come over and teach but I'm not going to be asked to be baptized. Um, I talked to my mom about it and she's like, well, you can take those discussions, but you're not taking them here. She was pretty opposed to it. I was like, okay. I was like, that's fine. I'll just take them at Amber's mom's place. And so um, she lived about 20 miles away from me. So I drive out there and take the discussions and, and the first discussion rolls around, and I'll I'll always remember their names, Greg. It was Elder Peruca. He was from uh, West Texas somewhere. And then Elder Ananich, who was from Russia. And Elder Ananich didn't speak a word of English. I think he had amen down by that point. Um, and so we go through the first discussion, and in those days, they, they you know, would kind of to start telling you a little bit about the book of mormon and about jesus christ and then there was they encouraged you to read in this pamphlet the uh moroni's promise right you know if you pray about these things you'll experience a burning of the bosom and you'll know that they're true <clears throat> and i was completely uninterested i'm like sure great sounds awesome and so that first discussion ended um I had to stay the night there because by the time we finished up, it was over. Now, the next morning, uh, Amber had just graduated high school or been accepted to a college. I can't remember which. But anyway, um, 
she was she was uh her and her mom were going to go to mccall which is a little resort town kind of up up about middle of the state in idaho and they were gonna go up there for a long weekend and just have some fun and i was like well this is cool because i'm gonna do what i always do i'm gonna go home i'm gonna grab my tent and my pole and i'm gonna go head out to go fishing spend the weekend out there now i had this little spot that i that i had that i went to all the time but it was a hike back there right it was about five miles but it was so secluded and it was marked by this one tree that had kind of been burnt in a fire and it had no limbs on it. It was just the trunk and it was kind of leaning over a little bit, but about 50 yards past that, there was a little eddy that ran off the snake river. And because it was an eddy, the, the water moved a lot slower. So it was a lot clearer. Right. And I'd always been able to go when I found it, it was just perfect. Cause I could go out there. I could toss my line in you could see the catfish and the 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 trout down there and i never had a problem i always caught what i ate so the the discussion wraps up i drive back home amber and mom's going to be gone for the weekend you know this is before cell phones too right this is like 95 um the, the cell phones were around it's just not everybody had them right it was it was a real status symbol at that point and so I get home, I unload my bag, I put all my, my gear in the bag, you know, a change of clothes, a sweatshirt, change of socks, and I start heading out there. And I don't get, I, I, I took a nap and I didn't get a, a great start. I, I ended up heading out, oh, I want to say probably three in the afternoon to the point that by the time I made it out to that little spot that I had, it was, it was getting dark. Um, so I get out there, I look down, sure enough, there, there's, there's, there's fish in that eddy. Um, I had some lemons and some pepper, some butter, and I always just caught what I ate, filleted it, wrapped it in tin foil, put some seasonings on it and just cooked it. Right. I get the fire started. I, I, I toss the line in and nothing. Nothing happens. Now, it, it was unusual because usually it took me 15 minutes tops and I was reeling something in, Greg. And all of a sudden, it, nothing's happening, right? And now it's dark and I'm like, well, I'm not hiking back out tonight. I guess I guess I'm just going to sit here till I catch something or, you know, go hungry. It's kind of what I was thinking. And... um Finally, about 11 o'clock, nothing was hitting the pole. I mean, I've been there three, four hours and nothing's happening. Although I can see, you know, I, I saw fish down there. I know they're there. So I'm sitting by the fire. I'm like, well, crap, what the hell am I going to do now? And I remember I just kind of glanced and I noticed that, you know, that missionary version of the Book of Mormon, you know, blue with the gold letters. I've got it sitting right in front of me. Okay. It was sitting at the bottom of my bag. I had failed to take it out when I threw everything else on top of it. So I thought, well, there's no one around, not doing anything else. I might as well just maybe read this a little bit and see what I see what I think. And so I went ahead and I uh, I started reading it, right? And I read Moroni's Promise and I read a couple other things but to be honest with you greg it didn't hit me real hard i was like this sounds like the bible right i mean i'm not saying it's you know a bad book i'm just saying i don't think it's true 
so I put I put the Bible, I put the Book of Mormon down. And I waited probably another 15, 20 minutes. And I'm like, Paul's still not doing nothing. I'm like, well, I suppose I could read this book and then I could challenge the missionaries on it if I find something that sticks out. <laughs> so I start reading just various passages, right? I just really flip through it is what I do. And I finally get to the story of Abinadi, right? And, and flipping around. And it's the one where he's testifying before King Noah. And they can't touch him. And Greg, that hits me. Something about that story hit me. And I put the book down and I kind of look around again. And I decide I'm going to read one more time. And I, I read Moroni's promise. And I look back around and no one's there. Um, I'm like, well, no one can see me doing this. So I guess I'm all right. Because I was a major partier. I was like, well, I haven't really said many prayers in my life, but I guess I could give this a go. And I prayed to know if the Book of Mormon was true. And if and this will this will factor in heavier later in my story. Um I ask if the Book of Mormon is true and if the gospel is true. And I pray, and all of a sudden there's there's no miraculous vision there's nothing like that right but it's an overwhelming feeling that i know it's true and i sit there for 10 minutes somewhat dumbfounded right and i sit back down on the log that i was looking at the fire and i was like well this sucks because i don't want to be a mormon <laughs> there's a thousand other things that, that sound more interesting to me than being a mormon but I was like, ooh, I still have God on the hook here because I ain't told those elders and everybody involved they weren't to ask me if I was to be baptized. So I thought I had God. I was and, and I even said, look, if you want me to be baptized, you're gonna have to, you know, really tell one of them to ask me. And I don't think they're gonna do that because I I I was less than happy to be there. And I'd made it clear that I wasn't getting baptized. They knew that going in. And then I reiterated it, that first discussion. And so um, the pole started dancing. I was able to catch, catch fish. I ate. I went to sleep. Stayed there the next day. Hiked out that night. Um, Tuesday was, was my next um, appointment with the missionaries. So Tuesday rolls around and and I gotta say, Greg, I was feeling pretty confident. I felt like I I I, I had a loophole and I was gonna work that loophole, right? Because the mission, no one was supposed to ask me if I if I'd be baptized. And the discussion starts. And to be honest with you, I don't remember much from that discussion. What I do remember is that Elder Ananich, who didn't speak a word of English, just kept staring me down. And at one point, I remember thinking, this is why the KGB was so effective. Uh, because that dude is mad dogging me the whole way through. And we're about halfway through now, maybe three quarters. And the weirdest thing happened. Elder Ananich, as he's leaning back, all of a sudden he just leans forward. And he puts his hand on Elder Peruka's knee, the, the one from West Texas. And in great English just says, will you be baptized? And the room gets real uncomfortable, right? Because they're expecting me to kind of lose my crap and start, you know, 
I, you know, yelling, I told you that I wasn't going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I just kind of had to let my head hit my, you know, let my chin hit my chest. And I was like, well, I guess so. And that was, that was it. That's how I became a Mormon. Uh, we finished up those discussions that week, had a baptismal interview in the LDS church and I became a Mormon. Wow. That is, that is an amazing, amazing story. I'm so glad you told it. And that now brings me to the next question that I really have been thinking about all week as we began this discussion of having this show. Uh, you spent a lot of years in the, the mainstream church. Mm-hmm. I did. Can you remember the first time that you were <laughs> exposed to or became aware of fundamentalist uh, doctrine? And can yeah. you talk about that? Yeah. So the first time I'm exposed to it, um, <laughs> I go home and I tell my mom, because at some point she's going to find out, right? I mean, I'm 18. I can do what I want, but I'm also living in her house. Um, totally. So I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to become a Mormon. And she's like, look, you're 18. You can do whatever you want. But if you're going to be a Mormon, you're not going to live here. And um, I was like, well, crap. And to kind of persuade me not to, she went and talked to that, that same pastor who just happened to be a specialist in uh, trying to to debunk Mormonism. So he goes to the Journal of Discourses, and he starts pulling stuff out about Adam God, blood atonement, curse of Cain, plural marriage. I mean, anything you could think of that was controversial about Mormonism, he found it. I was like, he had a Journal of Discourses on hand. He did, yeah. Or at least he had he had files or something but they were printed they were just printed pages right that wasn't like the actual courses it was just printed pages and so i was reading through it and like kind of dug the adam god stuff right um the 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 curse cane was a little troublesome to me um plural marriage i found fascinating uh blood atonement kind of made sense to me to be honest with you i was like okay it's you know it's uh it it, kind of the way Brigham talked about it it sounded like just capital punishment in a theo democracy. Right. Um, But I had questions about the Adam God stuff. I had questions about the plural marriage stuff. And so I show it to my elders like two days later and they're like, I have never seen this before. Let's, let's get the Bishop over here. And the Bishop comes over and he looks at it and he's like, yeah, I kind of heard about some of this, the plural marriage stuff I'm pretty familiar with, but the whole Adam God thing, not so much blood atonement. Haven't really heard of that. Uh, you know what? Let's, uh, let's get you a, let's let, let me call the stake president real quick. And so he calls the stake president and the stake president directs me to go talk to uh, a, a, our stake patriarch who lived in the town. I was taking the discussions. And um, he spent, he was so great. Um, I remember I went over to his place. I knocked on the door and his wife answered and she was a sweet old lady. And she's like, oh, he's on the tractor. Um, she's, he, he goes, she, she says, he said, you'd be coming over. Just drive down that dirt road right there and you'll see him. And he'll probably have you come up and get in the tractor with him. I'm like, okay, cool. So we have deep conversations and then he takes me into his house. And I mean, he's got every old school book of Mormonism you can imagine. 
And so he he takes some things off and he explains some things to me like, look, I think this might be true, but we really don't talk about this in church. If you need to have these discussions, you come see me because you'll get in trouble. I'm like, oh, so there's like secret knowledge. He's like, oh, yeah, there's secret knowledge. And so I, I have that conversations with him. My questions are sufficiently answered um, and I'm baptized. And then I work the program, so to speak, for a good Let's see, 95, probably 13, well, probably 12 years, right? Amber and I, we end up getting married. We have kids. We move to Maryland. We move back to Idaho. Um, and while I'm in Idaho, uh, the, the second time, it's because I get spooked. So this is about 2006, 2007, I guess. Um and I was part owner of a business at that time. And we, me and a couple other guys had got together and just decided we were going to make kind of a, a one-stop land development company, right? So it was me who was doing the survey stuff. And then we had an architect and a structural engineer and a civil engineer. Um, and this, this is going somewhere, I promise, but I got to set the stage here. Um, and then, um, a landscape architect and we were just killing it greg i mean like we added eight crews in the space of one calendar year and i was like you know i'm not an economist but this doesn't seem healthy so i call up a buddy who worked for at the time what was called academy mortgage it's a huge uh lender out in the west for mortgages and he was down in salt lake and i said man let me take you to lunch let me run down there, take a lunch. I want to pick your brain on this economy. He's like, sure. And so we have lunch and I'll, I'll never forget it. We were sitting, uh, the old crossroads mall. You remember, you remember that? Oh yeah, like, absolutely. We were sitting in the old crossroads mall and they had this, they still have it there in the, in the new mall, but it's called great steak, right? Which is just cheese steaks. And I'm like, ah, that sounds good. We'll swing in there. So we sit down, we're talking, and it's an off hour, right? We go to lunch at like 1.30. And I said, dude, what is going on with this economy? And he's like, what do you mean? And I told him what I'd done, and he got white, like like, like a, 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 a white sheet, kind of white. And uh, he goes, well, this isn't normal. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? And he explains to me toxic mortgages he talks about how they're they're making these loans and then they're wrapping them up and then they're selling them to the government essentially right and fannie mae and freddie mac now i'm not a super smart guy but i'm enough I'm, I'm enough of a thinker to do math and go yeah this is unsustainable so i went back to my partners and i just said look this bad boy's coming down um i suggest we we you know don't hire anybody else. We don't grow and we buckle down for hard times. And they laughed at me. I'll never forget it. They laughed at me when I called that meeting. And at that point, I just said, you know what? Cash me out. There's a guy behind me who's ready to take over. Just cash me out. And so they cashed me out. And they were they were more than fair to me. Um, but I went uh, back to that same little town where I was baptized at. Only we were way out in the sticks. We were probably five miles from town. And I bought this house. It was like a three bedroom, one bathroom house, but I renovated the garage um, and turned it into living space and added a bathroom. 
sure enough, about the end of 2007, it came down and it came down hard. And so um, we were out there and I was just doing little surveys for farmers, right? Not a ton of money, but it was enough that we could get by because the house was pretty much free and clear. Um, now, there was nobody around us, except for one person that was literally 50 feet from me. And um, for argument's sakes, and I'm going to try to do this. I've screwed up a couple of times. Um, but um, you know what? I'm just going to call her Brenda. To the hell with it. At this point, everyone knows who I am. There's a woman next door named Brenda. And her and Amber became really good friends. And Brenda was a divorcee. And um, she had uh, a ton of stuff to do around her property, right? Um, she had a couple acres. I think we had five, if memory serves. Um, but because I wasn't working every day, right? I would go do a job and a couple thousand bucks. And so if I did, if I did five or six a month, I was making plenty of money because, again, we didn't have a house payment. The cars were paid off. We were smart. Um, and uh, and what would happen is, is that uh, Amber would, would kind of um, loan me out, if you will, to go help Brenda, right? It would be like, hey, Brenda needs trees trimmed or, or the lawn mowed or any number of things right patch a hole in the roof on the her shed whatever um and as soon as we moved back to that little area i got put in um in, in an elders corn presidency i wasn't a pre the president but i was in an elders corn presidency at that time and i remember as i was working on her house once i just kind of remember thinking this feels natural and then I scared myself, Greg. I was like, nope, nope. I take my, there's two things. I take my covenant with God very, very seriously. And I loved my wife enough, still love her this much, to, to do everything in my power never to hurt her, ever. So I made, re, I made excuses not to go over there, right? You know, it'd be one of those things like, oh, gosh, I wish I could, but I got this thing over here. I got to go do it. It's going to take forever. Sorry. And I just made excuses not to go. Um, And then Amber and Brenda were also team teachers together in young women's, I think. Maybe it was primary. I can't remember, but they were team teachers. And so it was nothing for me to come home from work and see them. Um, studying the scriptures together, right? So she was always around, but it, I just made excuses not to be over there as much. Um, things start getting crazy about two months after that. Now, I had turned our five acres almost into a park, had a great big garden, orchards. It was all under sprinkler. And I also built a really nice area for hosting. So we had a nice fire pit, with, you know, it was, it had pavers on it. It was really well put together. Um, and so Brenda's kids would come over and we would roast hot dogs and have s'mores and we would talk into the night. And the girls were studying, I think the doctrine and covenants so were getting, getting, getting close to making that jump. And, uh, 
they were joking around and like, Ooh, how are we going to tackle 132? Um, and I, I was like, I made the comment. I was like, man, that would be so weird to have to live that. And Brenda said, um, you know what? I got some family who are independent fundamentalists and there's actually a real speed, sweet spirit in their home. And I just kind of was like, Ooh, look at the time. I got to go to bed. You girls continue talking. I'll see you later. Go to bed. Hopefully put, put it out of my mind and not worry about it. About three weeks after that, Amber and I are getting ready for bed and Amber out of the blue just says, if plural marriage ever came back, would you take Brenda as a wife? And are, are you a Star Wars fan, Greg? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. There's a scene from one of the movies where this guy goes, it's a trap. And that's exactly how I felt, right? I was being I trapped. I can understand that feeling. I can understand the feeling. And I was like, um, you know what? We don't have to worry about that. I'm not concerned with that. Nothing wrong with Brenda, but no. You know, we don't we don't need to talk about it. And I just kind of went to bed. About a month after that, I think. I came home from doing a survey and it was it was a rough day. I, I remember that. I was all scratched up. I had to cut through Russian olives. It was a rough, rough survey. And I get home and have you ever gotten home and you're like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to think. All I want to do is sit down in this chair and, you know, take a shower, eat and sit in this chair and not move. Oh, absolutely. In my current job, I, I work at a homeless shelter uh -huh. currently. So, so I definitely have days like that where I come home and I just want to decompress from the day. I go read some scriptures. Uh, I make myself some dinner, but I don't want to think about the pressures of the day. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I didn't get that far. I got, came in and Brenda and Amber were sitting at the at the table reading scriptures. And again, it wasn't unusual, right? They were team teachers. And um, Amber just says, David, come here. I got something I want to show you. And I'm like, sure. And so she's in the Doctrine and Covenants, and she's like, what does this one say? And I'm like, verily thus saith the Lord. She's like, okay, stop, stop. She flips over to another one. She's like, what does this one say? And I'm like, verily, verily, thus saith the Lord. And I start reading some more, and she's like, that's enough, stop. And we do this exercise probably two or three more times, Greg. And then finally, she takes us to the uh, the Manifesto. And she says, what does this say? And I'm like, to whom it may concern. And at this point, like, I remember my gut got physically tight, right? I felt ill. And she said, does that sound like a revelation to you? And I had to admit it did not, right? It did not have the same feeling of thus saith the Lord. And she just basically said, look, I love Brenda, you know, um, I see her struggle without a husband and I want her to have the blessings that I have. And she goes, you're a good man. Um, we should think about doing this. And I don't know what my face looked like, but I could tell you what I felt like, which was, I wanted to throw up. Right. Not because Brenda was ugly or anything like that. It was just, this is a big deal. 
this is a huge deal. And so I'm like, okay, let's have a conversation here. I was like, we have some challenges in front of us, right? Um, it's not like I can walk into the bishop tomorrow and go, hey, man, guess what? I got great news, right? This is not going to fly. Um, and so I'm like, let's all go home. Let's, you know, let's pray about this and let's give it a week. And I was like, because I don't have a confirmation of this one way or another. And so, I mean, I have never prayed as hard as I prayed that week. I fasted like I had never fasted before. And I'm just asking God, is this your will? Is this your will? Is this what you want me to do? And I'm reading 132 and I'm reading church history, trying to get a feel for what's happening. And one evening, it just comes to me. I'll never forget it. It was probably one in the morning. And I went into our orchard and I just said a prayer. And again, no miraculous visions. I don't want to say that. Nothing like that. But I got an answer, which was, yes, I have ordained you to be in this spot. And there is more I have yet to teach you. And in that moment, I stood up and I'm like, okay. So we meet back together in a week. I say, okay, I I got the answer. Have, Have you girls each got an answer? And I was like, to make sure that nobody is fibbing to anyone else, let's write it down, fold up a piece of paper, and then let's just throw it in a hat. And we do that. I take it out, and it's unanimous yes, right? And I'm like, okay, now we have another problem. How are we going to get married, right? Because I don't want to just be feeling like I'm having an affair that my wife's okay with, Right. Uh, it's it's very important to me to do this right. And um, again, I'm in I'm in Idaho, um, not exactly a hotbed of activity in Western Idaho for fundamentalists. Um, the the people Brenda had told me about her family, they had passed away, and so I'm just kind of floating out there, right? I don't know what to do, and so I start scouring the internet for anything I can find anything and it took forever because we were living in the country and it was just past dial up at that point right you weren't getting the annoying sounds anymore but it was still very slow this back when you used to get the aol cds uh yeah well it's probably past that a little bit but not not by much right you're talking 2007 somewhere we're talking netscape yeah yeah that's it so I start uh, I start scouring the internet for fundamentalist groups, and uh, I, I do research enough to go, yeah, I ain't calling anyone in Colorado City. That looks horrible. Um, I hear about the AUB, um, but they're really hard to get a hold of. And so I end up um, finding a book by Ogden Kraut that talks about doing a solemn covenant until you can find proper priesthood authority. And basically what happens is that you have a ceremony with the three of you just before God and say, you know, commit to each other. And then you, it's it's kind of a placeholder until you can find proper priesthood authority, right? So I start, we, we do that and we start living as man and wife. And um, 
after that, I just start tearing into finding fundamentalists, right? I talk to Kevin quite a bit. I, I talk to some LeBarons. I talk, uh, I, I finally track down the number to one group and I'm, I'm not going to tell, tell who it is, but it looks really promising, right? They're, they're, they're just in Salt Lake somewhere and it looks really, really promising. And, um, I reach out to them, takes a while to get an answer, have a few discussions over emails, get some material to read, start learning about Adam God and about, you know, really learning about Adam God in depth um, and, and a lot of other fundamentalist principles. And uh, I said, look, man, I'm, I'm sold. Uh, what, what do I need to do? And he said, well, probably next thing is to have you come up to Salt Lake and have an interview, and then we'll go from there. I'm like, sweet. He's like, but first, tell me about your family situation. I said, well, it's me and my two, you know, me and my wife, Amber, and me and my wife, Brenda, and my kids. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're already living plural marriage? And I'm like, yes, sir. Yep. And he's like, well, you're out of order. You've already violated your covenants, and we can't help you. And so at that point, I was like, well, I'm trying to get in order. Can you help me out? And he's like, nope, can't do it. And that was it. And so at that point, I just remember I looked at both the girls. I'm like, I think we're on our own out here. But we do as good of a job as we could with what knowledge we had, right? I mean, for all intents and purposes, we're a fully functioning family. We have dinners at night together. I alternate nights between staying at Brenda's and staying at Amber's. Um, we, we become knit together as a family and, uh, oh, I remember it was about five, six years after that. Right. Um, Brenda's family. Now, Brenda was a few years older than, than we were, but she had family who were just upstanding members of the Mormon community where we lived. And from my understanding, um, her parents found out and kind of said, look, you got to make a decision. And I was like, look, I, I've already moved from Maryland to Maryland and back. I don't have a problem pulling that trigger. We'll leave. We'll leave next week. Right. Um, but I could tell she was still hesitant. So I said, tell you what, let's pray about this. And then let's, let's talk tomorrow night. And she and and I don't blame her. I don't hold any malice towards her. She had to do what she had to do, right? Um, she she basically, you know, said, I can't imagine being ostracized from my family. And the the marriage kind of broke up. Not kind of, it it blew up. And so um yeah, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of that, and then um I'm I'm ashamed to admit I hadn't drank in probably gosh 13 almost 14 years by that point. But as I prayed, just trying to find solace, because I had no one I could turn to, right, Greg? It was just me. And I didn't want to ever mourn in front of Amber too much because I didn't want to give her the feeling of you're not enough. Right? I wanted to protect her heart still. So when I did most of my mourning, I did it. And I just did it on that, that, that five acres out there. Brenda ended up moving away really quick after that. Um, but 
because I didn't feel like I was getting much solace from God, I, I was now looking back, but I didn't feel it a whole bunch then. I, I kind of relapsed and I, I was like, well, if I'm not getting the answers I want from God, let's see what Captain Morgan has to say about this. Let's counsel with the captain. And I remember I remember one night I was just, I was drunk. I mean, bad drunk. And Amber came out on the patio and I'd been crying. And it's about midnight. And she's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine, but I'm never doing this crap again. Only I didn't say crap. I said, I'm never doing this again. Ever, ever, never, ever. Um, we, we never got found out by the LDS church. I'm like, we're just going to move. We're, we'll probably move. We'll find a ward to settle into. And I'm going to forget everything I knew. Everything. And I remember she just kind of put her put her hands around my face, my, my, my face down by my chin. She just raised my, my head up. So my gaze met her. And I just remember, she said, look, we've been called to this. Um, we've learned so much and we can try going back to the LDS church, but if, if we get called, we're going to do this again. Cause, cause we've been called is how she put it. And so end up moving to North Dakota, live up there for a few years. And then um, we end up moving to Utah. And while in Utah, um, in this very house that I'm at today, this was right before the pandemic. And it was right after they made the temple change where they got rid of an a covenant that was made between the man and wife in the endowment. And I was pissed. I was pissed. I was not happy about that, but I thought, whatever, they know what they're doing. Let's just let this lie. And so I, uh, one morning I just woke up and I was in leadership in this ward and I remember I was shaving. And now this was probably only two or three months before COVID. But I'm shaving in the mirror. It's around Thanksgiving. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, why am I so unhappy? I'm attending the temple once a week. I'm paying my tithing. I am fulfilling my calling. I'm associating with, quote, the right people. I'm going to leadership council. What is wrong with me? Why am I? I got a great job. I have a great wife. Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Which was, it wasn't like everything's wrong. It just didn't feel complete or authentic. Does that make sense? Totally. Absolutely. And, and then I'm looking in the mirror and as I asked the question, and it, here's the weird thing, Greg, it wasn't even really a prayer, right? It was just like a question to myself, but I got an answer in that instant. And it was, you're not being true to who you are, son. I I showed you all these things, and you've tried to just forget about them. You can't forget about them. When you know, you know. And and you can't go back now. Um, it's, it's like the proverbial unringing of the bell. You can't unring that bell, can you? It's it's like when, when Adam and Eve take the fruit. There's no undoing it. You now have to contend with this. Right. And so I was like, okay. So I remember I, I finished shave and I walk, I, I go into the bedroom out of the, out of the master bath there. 
And I just look at Amber and I said, I'm done. I'm done. She's like, done with what? I was like, I'm done going to church. And I explained to her what has happened. And I remember she said, well, it's about damn time. It's about damn time because I'm done too. And that Sunday I finish out my meetings and then I book an appointment with my stake president or my bishop first. And I just say, look, you're going to have to release me. And he goes, oh, oh, brother, brother Sanders, why? Is something wrong? I was like, yeah, something's wrong. And he's like, um, you just not have enough time. I'm like, no, I got time. He's like, oh, let me guess. You bumped into some old Mormon literature. I'm like, well, I've known about that for a long time. And actually, I'm kind of cool with that. And uh, he goes, <laughs> I, I know what it is. You're upset about the way the church treats the LGBTQ community. And I'm like, no, that is not it whatsoever. In fact, I think you're getting too close to that. To that. And he's like, then what could possibly be the problem? And I just say, look, you've crossed a bridge here. I, you, you've crossed the Rubicon. You've, you've altered the ceremony to the point that I think now you're entering the, the territory of your mocking God. And, uh, and he goes, um, what, 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 let's, let's have you talk to the state president. I'm like, fine. Now, the guy that I talked to who was a state president, he was the, um, he's, he, he's one of the very higher ups for Bonneville Communications. And I remember I go in and I just tell him, look, here's my issue. These things are changing. And I think we, we are now in the mode of mocking God. And he says something that, that calm, he said, well, how so? And I explained to him about the temple change. And he's like, oh, I can so answer this for you. You're, you're going to feel so much better after this. I'm like, okay, yeah, hit me with it. And he said, well, you see, for the first time ever in the church, there's more single people than married people. And so that covenant's really hard to keep if, if you're not married. And I remember I was like, that's not answering the question. I Because if, if, if people can't walk up to that covenant, the, the answer is not to change the covenant that God revealed. The answer would be, why aren't, is to ask the question, why aren't young people getting married? Exactly. And I, and I said, look, if, if people were having a hard time with the law of chastity, would you throw that out too? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by DeseretFlag.com. I've said this before and I really mean it. Mormonism isn't just a religion, it's a culture. As such, it has its own vernacular and practices, but also its own symbols. And those symbols become even more important and prominent when you look back into our history. Perhaps one of the most recognizable symbols of Mormonism is the Deseret flag. This is the flag that I use as cover art in this podcast. This was also used for a good chunk of time during the pioneer era in Utah. Now, today we have people who want to replace the existing Utah flag with some other progressive monstrosity. Well, I think it's damn past time that we start pushing back here a little bit in Utah. Our friends at Defending Utah are here to help you with that. Now, if you go to DeseretFlag.com, you can now purchase your own Deseret State flag. It's time here that we start making ourselves known and join the resistance against those who seek to rewrite our state's history. Go to DeseretFlag.com or check out the link in this episode's page show notes and get yours today. Can't get enough of the Mormon Renegade podcast? Well, good news. We're on Patreon and there's three packages that you can choose from. The first one, the Slightly Rowdy Package, 
allows you to hear the podcast without all those pesky commercials getting in the way. For those who want a slightly more in-depth experience, there's the Stirring It Up package, where you can hear ad-free audio, ad-free video, and transcripts. Finally, for those who want to go full Renegade, that package is available too, where you can get everything in the previous two packages, plus an extra show where myself and Ben Winfield break down the news of the day from a very Mormon point of view. You will also get exclusive access to Renegade Chat, and on there you'll be able to talk to others about the show or whatever topics are on your mind. Go to Patreon today and get your exclusive content. He goes, well, no, that's that's different. I mean, that's completely different. I was like, how so? And he didn't have a good answer. And at that point, I was just like, yeah, we're done. We're done. I'm going to be cordial, but we're not hugging it out on Sundays anymore. And that was it. That's when that's that's kind of how I got to be a fundamentalist fully. Wow, that's a fantastic story. Now, you have moved on since that point to fully embracing fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, now, within fundamentalism, you and I and every listener knows there's a lot of branches, a lot of sects, a lot of churches, and many independents who believe in their own each brand of, of fundamentalism with each you know branch or church having their own take on faith and practice for you david what does it mean to be a fundamentalist or to have originalist orthodoxy in mormonism what does that look like to you so to me when when we start talking about orthodoxy i think that's going to look different to a lot of people. I mean, and, and independence there, they will be a little bit different because they're largely family units right now. They may come together and worship at somebody's house or whatever, but they're all going to be a little bit different. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, personally, when, when I think of orthodoxy, there's, there's two things. One is, um, not throwing out things that were called essential right? Not throwing things out that the brethren, those early brethren, Joseph, uh, Brigham, John Taylor, um, really talked about that that were essential. I think of plural marriage. I think of Adam God. I think of, of those kind of things. I don't want to say that 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 early leadership is infallible either, right? Um, I just went through this exercise. I think a prophet can be wrong. I mean, scripture bears that out, right? Um, Jonah ran from God. Uh, he had to be swallowed by a whale before he came correct. Moses kills a man. Uh, just go down the list. I don't I don't think prophets are infallible. Um, but some of their teachings are absolutely heaven sent, and you have to abide by those. The other thing I would say is priesthood and ordinances. Um, I do think that maybe the LDS church had screwed up to a point back in the twenties to, I want to say the early fifties where they stopped uh, conferring priesthood and started just ordaining straight to an office. They later corrected that, but they never went back and reordained every single person. Right. So that makes me question priesthood authority a little bit within the mainstream church. Um because the the ordination wasn't taken care of correctly so i found out very interesting when i decided to get rebaptized, i found out i had to get baptized in the first place because my my baptism when i was a very young boy came after 1978 so 
there was no priesthood authority essentially for my baptism. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, look here. And, and this is where you and I will differ a little bit. Cause I do have a bit of a nuanced view on the priesthood ban. Sure. Um, so I don't want to use 78 as the absolute end all be all um, of uh of they no longer had priesthood. I think there were probably still guys out there floating around who had it. Sure. Um, but so, so that was, that was a concern, valid priesthood ordination and pr- valid authority and also valid ordinance work because the ordinances have been changed over time. So when we start talking about orthodoxy, I tend to start at the scriptures. I go to Joseph and then Brigham and John Taylor, and then down to Joseph F. Smith. And then after that, I figure everything's pretty much toasted anyway. Um, right. Where do you go? So those kind of how I, how I rate orthodoxy and, and that's kind of my weight of sources. If you were, if you, if that makes right. sense. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I've told you before in our private discussions, you know, for, for me, fundamentalism, I always say, just kind of my shtick is like, it's a broken pane of glass, and it's someday going to have to be melted back down and put back together. Um, I think my question that I wanted to ask you about this, do you see a time when we're going to have a people of Zion that can unite again under the truth? And what does that look like? Okay. Didn't you say you had something to do at 7 o'clock? I do. Let's, uh, okay. let's, let's break. Let's let, let's pause this. Let's pause yeah. and then come back and then let me answer that. All right, cool. That's a it's a great way to think about a tough question. I'll be back in five or six minutes. Okay. Okay, David. I want to get a little more in depth now. Okay. And in in our previous conversations, I've always shared with you my view of fundamentalism. We've talked about it and. I've, I've told you that I, I look at it like a broken pane of glass mm-hmm. and someday, someday, somehow that glass is going to have to get melted back down and turned into a brand new, smooth, beautiful sheet of glass. Mm-hmm. Now, if you take that parable and, and advance it, do you see a time when that can happen when we'll have possibly a people of Zion that can unite again under the truth that I know that, you know, that, we all know, even if it's a little bit shaded differently for each of us. So when when we start talking about something like Zion, right, and and then you follow that up with truth, you're you're now going to start getting into some concrete definitions. And so when when you say truth, explain that to me. Is that your truth? Is that the truth as I, let me rephrase that. Is that the truth as you understand it? Is that the truth as I understand it? Is that the truth as these various groups and independents understand it? Um, I think I think it's that all of the above and the truth. Um, right. We're all going to look at it in our own individual way, even if we're in a church, if we're in a group or we're independent. I know some churches that approach uh, the teachings of their prophet or their president way differently, uh, and I'm speaking about some groups in Utah, than, say, a different group up north. Uh, some folks down in southern to central Utah 
who have a group, I know for a fact that they have very many of the same beliefs as another church, but it's the way that their prophet approached teaching it. So they have a different reception, a different understanding of the same truths. And I, I just wonder what it will take and what is there going to be a time when we may have little differences, we may have little misunderstandings. I don't, I don't want to say misunderstanding, but uh, different different shades of the same beautiful truth. So here, here's what I would say. Is that, yes, I believe that will happen. And yes, that better start happening soon. Now, all of these groups, I feel like, bring something to the table, as well as the independents. Um, and... I think at some point we're going to have to learn how to work together where we can. Um, as far as, cause you run into this problem of who's, you know, as far as groups, who's their one man and how is that going to get sorted out? Um, when you start talking about that sort of thing, about who the man is, you're asking people to do something that I think is not impossible, but it's definitely harder to do. And on some level, I think we're going to have to start looking beyond kind of the one man thing, right? We're going to have to start looking for the one man as being Jesus. Um, I think if we can all put aside our sacred cows to a certain extent, and be willing to be like, gosh, you know what? I'd never thought about it that way. That guy might have a point, even though he doesn't subscribe to, to my one man or to what I held as an independent. He's got a good point. So we have a ways to go, I think, as a people being willing to, to consider all aspects and then coming to a place to where we can extract that all. Now, we also all have this predefined notion that, that we're all going to come in under one banner and one guy, and we're all going to just get it done. And, and the more I look, the more I think that may not be the case. I think what you could have is a number of sects and independent that work together um, on, on common things. Um, uh, to be honest with you, I think the model might look a little bit like it does with some of the folks out in Missouri, right? You have a settlement that has um, some some folks from a a uh, fundamentalist branch. You have some folks who um, are just flat independents, right? Everything from disaffected AUB to to some some LeBarons, um, and somehow they manage to come together and build a community and a temple. And I think that's probably the model that we're going to see when Zion comes about as, as we begin to work together. And then I imagine the Lord will make his appearance at that point and any errors in doctrine will be sorted out at that time. That's great. I was reading Doctrine and Covenants today just about that very topic. Fantastic. Now, let's, let's riff off of that. Uh, you and your family took a trip to the Midwest recently, and it was yeah. to Illinois and Curry. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. How was that trip for you and your family spiritually? Oh, it was awesome. Um, so we we left Utah 
And we, my youngest daughter went to stay with her oldest sister in North Dakota, uh, who's married and has a kid. So my daughter went up there to stay with her for an extended period. And then from North Dakota, we, uh, we beelined it to Nauvoo. Um, we, we spent the day in Nauvoo and then we went to Carthage and then we went to, um, to uh, far west we went to liberty jail we went to adam on diamond um we were all over the place and it was really cool and a, a big testimony builder to both me and my family um my 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 wives and and a couple of my sons about just how fantastic it was and how special of a theology we have and it drove home the truthfulness of these things. And there's one big takeaway I had. Let me see if I can find it here. Because I think it's really, really uh, important. And, and this was one of, of my big takeaways from that trip. Um, let me see if I can find it here. If you've got something you want to add at this point, that'd be great. So it gives me time to look. Well, actually, so you brought up the kids. And, you know, I are they being raised in the covenant? And if so, I'm sure there's challenges in doing that, given the way the world, really, the, the outside world, not not our, our, our beliefs and the way that we work with our families, but the outside world can bring really ungodly influences to bear. Um, is something like this where, where you share it as a family, building that, family relationship up can you talk about that look my four older kids don't show much of a desire for it right now um, my two younger ones tend to have a little bit more of a desire for it but mormonism is unique in the sense that you're going to have to have your own conversion experience whether you've been raised with it or not right um, and so they're they're still working that stuff out now i'm hopeful um and Greg, to be honest with you, even if some of them don't, it doesn't mean I love them any less or or anything else. It just means that we don't see eye to eye on theology, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, it, it it can be tough. But I mean, I, I'm not a big believer in just lock your kids up and shelter them from the world. Right? The Savior said, "Let your light so shine." Right? Be an example to others. Um, if we lock our kids down and and don't let them um, learn how to navigate the world. I don't think we're doing a real good job for them. We're setting them up to have their, their, uh, beliefs challenged in the worst possible way at the worst possible time without ever having kind of that stage of immunization, I guess, right. Where you start to deal with these a little bit at a time, and then your kids are able to, to learn over time how to repel that. So, Yes, the world can be tough, but they better learn to navigate it because I'm not going to always be there either, right? That's right. Here is is what I, I want to point out to you. And this actually is, references your previous questions about us all coming back together again a little bit. And this is from Joseph Smith while he's in Nauvoo. And he says, the blessings of the Most High, and, and I saw this, on, it's a plaque on a statue of Joseph and Hiram. And it said, the blessings of the Most High will rest upon our tabernacles, and our name will be handed down to future ages. 
Our children will rise up and call us blessed, and generations yet unborn will dwell with peculiar delight upon the scenes that we have passed through, the the privations that we have endured, the untiring zeal that we have manifested, the insurmountable difficulties that we have overcome in laying the foundation, that's important, the laying of the foundation of a great work that brought about the um, the glory and blessings which they will realize, a work that God and angels have contemplated with delight for generations past, that fired the souls of the ancient patriarch, patriarchs and prophets, a work that destined that is destined to bring about the destructions of the powers of darkness, the renovation of the earth, and the glory of God, and the salvation of the human family. Now, let me tell you why that stuck out to me. It was that remark about laying the foundations, right? Joseph didn't say the house was finished. What he said is we laid the foundation. Now, I think that... Because, as I see it, the church has gone off, you know, has maybe gone off the rails a little bit, in my opinion. That has caused us to build a house whose foundations, whose the the, the building footprint doesn't match the foundation. And anytime you build something that's not on the foundation, it is not structurally capable of bearing weight for very long. Um, and I think that we all have to come together and really be honest, really do some honest searching and some honest prayer to find out what that foundation looks like and then build upon that. Because I think maybe all of our foundation, maybe we all have a bit of that structure that is hanging off the foundation a little bit. So we got to bring it back to the foundation we have to build from the foundation up um so so that was one major takeaway there is there something you wanted to add no i'm loving this story keep on going the the other thing i saw that um really um got me was that was one statue and it had joseph holding an axe and hiram was right beside him the other statue of Joseph and Hiram is is in front of the Nauvoo Temple, and they're they're facing the Mississippi, but they're turning back to look at the Nauvoo Temple. And I'm going to butcher this. And my phone died, so I couldn't grab a picture. I'm sure I could find it. I just haven't had time. But the the what what Joseph basically says is this is the best place in all the world, and this is the best people in all the world, but they do not yet know what lies in front of them. And that got me thinking. Because for a lot of years, I just assumed that he was talking about the Trek West, right? And then carving out an existence out of the desert. Now, certainly that could be part of it. But what I find is, is that if it's just the Trek West and just carving out an existence, it doesn't make sense because as you look at the at, at the U.S. government's own statistics, if you were traveling on the Mormon Trail going to Utah, you, you could expect that less than a percent of those who made that trip were going to die. 
versus like the Oregon Trail, which had a 10% mortality rate. So by all accounts, the Mormon Trail was wildly successful. Um, stupid successful. I think that speaks to the leadership of Brigham Young, his inspired role, and also um, just what Mormonism can do, <laughs> especially when you have God on your side. Excuse me. So I was like, okay, then what's he talking about if it's not that? And I think it's this day. I think this is what he's talking about, uh, where where the gospel isn't maybe preached in its fullness in the, the mother church. And um, we have to start putting that back together. And we have to start correcting our structure to match the foundation. Well, speaking of foundations, this podcast is, as I see it, one of the foundations being laid to do exactly that. It's something also that my brother and I are going to try to do with the, the print magazine, and there's a lot of other people out there doing the same thing in different ways. So let's talk about the podcast. You said to me, you've told me directly, it's a calling. Can mm. you explain that? Yeah. So the podcast comes to me about a year after I'm like full-fledged fundamentalist, right? When I when I tell the bishop and stake president, I'm out. And um, I never sleep well in hotels. And I really don't sleep well in hotels when I'm away from my family. And I was, I had to go do a job in West Texas of all places. Um, and it was for uh, a power substation. And so it was probably three days worth of work. And so I head out there and on the second night, I'm just tossing and turning. I can't get to sleep. Um, and and I just kind of roll over and I stare at the ceiling and I think about how I got here, right? I basically go over in my head the story I just told you about how I came to be a fundamentalist in my entire journey in, in Mormonism. Um, and... I just because because, you know, I tripped up a bunch trying to find people I could learn from. It was it was hard. And. I remember thinking, man, if there could just would have been somebody around that could have showed me the ropes. And in that moment, just a. Um, just a thought popped into my head, not my own. Well, you could do something. I'm like, well. Maybe, but I'm so busy. I don't I don't have time. And it's like, how would I even do that? And the first thought was, well, you could do a blog. And I'm like, no, I suck at writing. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make a blog. That's too much typing. I'm not a fan. And so I go to sleep that night. Next morning, I wake up and it's still like the first thing after I jump up off my knees from saying my prayers is let's explore this idea a little bit of figuring out a way to help other people who are coming into fundamentalism. And um, I think about it all day and I'm just not coming up with, with a lot of solutions. And that night, again, I couldn't sleep. And about two 30 in the morning, the idea comes into my head about a podcast. And I was like, Nope, Nope. I, you got the wrong guy. One, I've never done a podcast before. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, you, you got, and furthermore, I'm just not that smart about stuff. Um, 
And so I, I kind of have this argument with God the rest of the night where I'm just like, you got the wrong guy, bro. Not me, not going to do it. Um, get up that morning, start getting my stuff ready. Cause I was flying out about 11 AM back to Salt Lake. And I'm arguing with God the whole way, all the way to the airport. The whole time I'm sitting and waiting for my flight, I'm just arguing. No, I, I've given him a ton of reasons why he's got the wrong guy. Um, and in some respects, I still feel like he has the wrong guy. But I, I, I'm like, no, I, I, I can't do it. I don't know how to do a podcast. And little things would pop into my head, like, well, do you think Noah and Nephi knew how to build a ship? Do you think that uh, that uh, you know? that Joseph knew how to run a church. Not that I'd ever compare myself to any of those men, but those were the words that kind of kept creeping in. So I have this argument and I get on the plane and about halfway through my flight, I'm like, fine, fine. This is what you want. I'll do it. But let me sleep. Let me just finish off this, this flight in peace and let me sleep. So I touched down. I had one layover in like Minneapolis and then uh, my flight, I catch my connector, I get to Salt Lake, and it's about five in the evening. I get back to Orem, and I swing into Best Buy, and I grab a couple of microphones and a laptop. And I come walking in, and my, I give my wife a kiss, and she's like, well, what's, what, what are those? And I tell her what I'm going to do, and she was just kind of like, well, you've had worse ideas. Um and that was it. I watched a couple videos about how how to podcast. Uh, I bought some software, everything I could afford, and then I just I just went for it. I just started uh, reaching out to people that I you know I thought were would be interesting to talk to, um, and started off with Adam God, right? And that was it. And then. Uh, so yeah, I, I I do feel it's a calling from God. And because it's a calling from God that I didn't get from a man, I, I'm pretty tenacious in guarding it. Um I'm careful about who I bring on. Um uh I, I try to vet everybody as much as I can. I I do the best I can to produce the best sounding audio. It doesn't always work out. Um, but yeah, I try really hard because it's it's not mine. It's it's a calling that I have. Absolutely. So, David, I guess one more kind of big, tough question, and then we can lighten it up as we, we head out of the second hour. And this kind of speaks to what you were telling us earlier about uh, the way that you met and, and courted and, and covenanted with your your first second wife. Um, and I guess the question is this, is that for many people who are, I guess many people who are new to fundamentalism are new, and I'm talking about people who, like coming out of the church, don't know much about polygamy, but are they're new to the concept of multiple plural wives. So in, the best advice you could give to somebody, what's the best way of handling a situation like that when the introduction, the love, the attraction to a new sister wife occurs? And I mean, how do you broach things like that? How do you smooth things out? in terms of the relationship with your first wife in that arrangement, what can you say to that? Well, first off, I'm going to say this, that might be as unique as families are. 
I'm not sure there's one prescribed way. I'll tell you how it worked with me and tell you how it's turning out so far. Um, when, when Tanya came into the family, uh, it was, it was pretty easy to be honest with you. Now I know some people are going to scoff at that, but let me explain. So, um, when, when Brenda first left, there was a moment at which we maybe thought, well, maybe we should just hop right back in. Right. Maybe we should just continue this thing. Um, and that I think was a mistake because I was still hurting and because I was hurting and there was this kind of panic that set in and I felt like I, I had to justify what I had done by making sure I kept doing it. Um, and so Amber had met uh, Tanya on a site and they struck up a really good friendship. I struck up a good friendship with Tanya. Um, and uh, uh, eventually I just had to say, look, after that night on the porch, I'm not ready. Um, not sure I'll ever be ready after this experience. Um, we should probably tap the brakes. Um, and, uh, but we, her and Amber would still just check in periodically, right? Every so many years. Now, this was like 10 years ago. Um, but throughout that 10 years, it was just always kind of like, you know, her and Amber would talk a little while. And then one night, uh, I had just wrapped up a podcast, actually. Um, Tanya had heard the podcast and messaged Amber and said, it sounds like David's busy. And, uh, uh, Amber kind of her and Amber kind of talked, and then it was one night after a podcast I had finished up. Um, after I finished up a podcast, I gotta wait for the audio to process down to something I can work with. And, um, Amber knocked on the door, and I said, Yep, I'm done, come on in. And, and she came in and she just set a phone number down in front of me, and I'm like, Well, what's this? And she said, that's Tanya's number. What are we waiting for now? What are we waiting for? You're about as public as it's going to get. Do it. And so at that point, Tanya and I struck things back up. And it progressed really quickly at that point. But keep in mind, we were in touch off and on for 10 years. Now, let me say this, right? And I want to be careful because I don't want to make this sound like a generalization. This is just one guy's opinion and one guy's opinion alone. Um, because Amber and Tanya get a well get along very, very well, they're they're the best of friends, that helps to create a very harmonious feeling within the home. Um, so if, if someone was to come ask me, and again, I'm not the authority, I don't want anyone to think I'm the authority. Um but I would say involve your first wife as quickly as possible. Um, because it's more than just you that the prospective new wife will be marrying, right? She'll be marrying into an existing family. And even if that's just a couple, um, so there, there needs, there needs to be some vetting done by the sisters as well. And because Amber and Tanya get along so well, it, it makes my life so rich and so blessed and so peaceful. Um, now, obviously, that's not the case all the time. 
for 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 others and i get that and so they're going to have to navigate that the best they can but but that would be you know if 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 i had a son that came to me and said dad i think this is something i want to do that would be my first thing i tell him is involve your involve your wife as quickly as possible because if she doesn't have buy-in i think it's going to be really tough that's just my opinion i'm not preaching gospel here i know that i i know that, that a lot of people have a different have a different uh experience in mind and they still make it work i'm just telling you what what my experience has been so far that's why we're interviewing you david great great answer so let's lighten it up a little bit uh even though it's still going to be doctrinal if uh if i was just uh be sitting with you one day and be like david you know on a rough day you got your scriptures with you is there is there a go-to scripture that you have on any given day that just fills your heart with joy Mm. Probably third Nephi 17. Why is that? The whole chapter. So the whole chapter. The whole chapter. I think that it might be one of the most revealing uh chapters about who the savior really is. Um in third in in, in third Nephi 17. This is after the Jesus has been been with the people for a little while, right? He's ascended, he's ascended out of the sky. He he's taught them a little bit, and and then he says, "You know what? I I I feel like you guys are getting a little tired. Go to your homes, talk about these things, and um, and then tomorrow when I come, we'll, there'll be more." And he looks out on the multitude and he finds them crying. Um, and because it is a whole chapter, I'm not going to try to read it here. Um, but he sees that they're crying. And then he begins to weep. And he says, you know what? Bring me all your sick, all your injured. Bring them to me. I'm going to heal them right now. And he heals them in front of everybody. And then he prays for the people. And then um, he says, bring me all of your little children. Bring them all to me. And in that moment, they're encircled about with angels. And and the scripture describes it as being circled about as in the midst of fire. And angels minister to these children. At the end of the day, when, when all cards are on the table, and you're thinking about who the savior is i think that's who he is most most of all he wants nothing more than to bless us with the the righteous desires of our hearts and oftentimes it's our own weakness that gets in the way of of those kind of divine manifestations um i love the temple right it's not actually scripture as we would think about it but it absolutely is scripture uh, I love the temple in the Genesis account where Eve is Adam and Eve have partaken of the fruit and they're hiding from God. Um, and the thing that I find most moving is that it's Adam's God that is seeking after him. God isn't passive in our lives. When we screw up, it's not like, well, you screwed up. I guess I'll just wait for you to come back. Now, certainly it has to be our own will. And we do have to take that first step. But I believe 
God, because he loves his children, is out there seeking after us, even when we mess up, even when we've transgressed. He's still seeking for us. Um, and I think that that there'll be people that are placed in your way or circumstances that make you remember things. And and so those are the two things that that I go to a lot as I as I struggle with things, as I <laughs> as I try to make sense of things. Just remembering that there's a savior and a eternal father who's both the the father of our spirits as well as our bodies that that is active in seeking us out in no matter what condition we are he loves us that much that is that is beautiful now one thing i know about this podcast and, and one thing i know about my own endeavor with chad over at the fundamentalist is we aren't necessarily at all preaching to the converted there are many mainstream mormons and even non-mormons who are going to hear your words in all of your shows and are going to read our magazine or find things in an ogden kraut book and are going to go from there that's how i started um for those out there who aren't fundamentalists yet um what's your advice what should they listen to what should they seek if they're seeking oh well the first thing i tell someone is because and 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 this is only because one i experienced it now my experience is a little different um but i think some of the feelings are the same and this comes from some other people i know who've come out of the lds church um there's a sense of panic that creeps in when someone who's been raised with a certain narrative their whole life finds out that that narrative might not be the narrative that's correct or truthful. There's a sense of panic that creeps in. And in that panic, we can do foolish things. Um, and we must be careful in that time. So the first thing I would say is just breathe. Just catch your breath. It's okay. God still exists. God is still sat in yonder heavens. That has not changed. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because you think that you haven't um, received um, the things that, that you feel like might be true doesn't mean that the whole gospel is not true. It just means that your understanding hasn't been completely enlightened yet mine hasn't been completely enlightened yet but um i would say just breathe next reach out to reputable sources if there's one thing my hope is for the podcast it's that it can be a place people can go to get truth now there's a lot of conjecture and a lot of opinion that are also on my podcast both from me and my guests but my guests are way smarter and the truth is, on the important things, they usually agree on 99.5% of them. Okay. Next, I would say this. Do your homework, right? I Look, I'll help anybody any way I can. We'll find a place for you to be if that's what you need. If you need to figure out how to be an independent. I know great independents who can help you, help you navigate those waters. If you feel like you should be long 
be be a part of a group. I know several groups who I think are absolutely fantastic folks who would welcome you with open arms. But do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So don't panic. Don't freak out. Seek reputable sources. I, I, I would have no problem sending someone to, to you and Chad to, to help them investigate things. And know that I'm I'm not your bishop. I'm not your stake president. I'm not here to tell you where to go. I can point you to options. And and that's that's what I would say. Know you have options. Fundamentalism does not come in one flavor. Um, it, it, it's got a variety to it. Um, it absolutely does. And so you need to be prayerful in figuring out where it is you and your family are supposed to go. And don't just look at it either in terms of um, I'm going there to be ministered to. More, more than likely, there's someone there that you're supposed to minister to as well. Don't sell yourself short. Right. You bring a wealth of experience when you enter fundamentalism. Um, and there's a way to even have fellowship if you're an independent. Don't think you have to be isolated. Uh, bad things happen in isolation. Um, I would say stay away from Warren Jeffs with everything in you. Um, I don't. I would not disagree with you. I, I don't think you're going to find a whole bunch there. Um, maybe some heartache, but I think I think most fundamentalists and most fundamentalist groups um, are are doing the best they can with what they got. In the defense of Colorado City, I will say I I'm in contact with folks there. A lot of folks there. There are some good things happening in Short Creek right now. It's sure. not happening for the whole church or for everybody there, but there are good things happening. There are faithful believers there that are doing it right. Right as being outside of Warren Jeff's purview? As, as not being a Warrenite. They they would still consider themselves okay. culturally LDS. They are not, of course, uh, in Centennial Park or Second Warders, but they're definitely not Warrenites. Okay. Culturally, there'll always be FLDS, and they will always be fundamentalists, and they have a, a large group of people there. But there are good things happening outside the purview of Warren Jeffs or any of his brothers. That's what I'd say is probably stay away from the Jeffs, right? That That's be, right. That would be my one my one thing. And like I said, I'm always here. I always return the emails. It may take me a, a week or so because I get a lot of emails, but I'll, I'll definitely get back with people. I always have. Um, and, and that's one of the things I noticed about you from the very beginning. Like you just said, 99.95%. You and I, in our discussions about everything, wide ranging things from from just day-to-day -day life to some deep doctrine, you and I have found that there's 99.95% similarity. There's that 0.05%, yeah, that there's going to be a difference, but that's okay. That's yep. the beautiful part of all this is that 0.05% doesn't amount to a hill of beans when we understand that we have more in common than we have differences. You know, I'm, I'm going to share something else here. And, and this goes back, I think, to your Zion question a little bit. Um, and it kind of ties in with this. The podcast has given me tremendous hope. I'll, I'll be honest with you, because when I first started it, I wasn't too hopeful that we could we could work that that various groups and various independents could work together on things. The podcast has shown me that that's absolutely not the case. 
that there are people willing to work with each other. And I remember after, oh, it was about December of last year, I kind of released all the episodes I was going to release for the rest of the year. And I'm like, okay, shouldn't say I had them released. I just had them processed and ready. Uh, and I had about a two week period where I could shut it down be between Christmas and New Year's. And I just remember I leaned back in my chair and this thought just out of the blue came to me, which was this. If there's one thing I know about God, it's that he loves a dramatic ending. Um, And I get goosebumps again thinking about this. It was such a surreal experience, but yet so tangible in that moment. I was I was thinking, yeah, God really loves a dramatic ending. I wonder how all this is going to shake out with all these various fundamentalists. And it, if there's one thing I know about God, say he loves a dramatic ending. If there's one thing I know about evil, it's it evil always overplays its hand. Always. And I believe we're about to go through some really rough, challenging times, times that I don't think uh we're fully ready for i'm not sure we could ever be fully ready for um and there're going to be times that try us and there's going to come a moment greg and i firmly believe this with everything in me that it's going to look bad it's going to look really bad and in that moment where it looks like evil's going to win god is just going to say okay everybody stand up where you are now and it won't have to be coordinated through anybody. We'll just hear the call. And we'll all stand up. And in that moment, evil will have one of the worst oh crap moments it has ever had. Because it's going to realize it's now surrounded. Um, I believe that fully. I believe that the Lord's not done with this people. I believe that there's many good people out there who are fulfilling their role the best they know how with the information that God has given them. And that's all any of us can do. So you just got to do your part, whatever your part is. And then when God tells you to stand, just stand, stand right where he told you to stand and he'll take it from there. But we've all got to do our part. I couldn't agree more. That brings me to this is, and you know, I'm a journalist. So it's always my final question of the night of the day. Whenever I'm doing a story, I'd always ask this question as the very end. Is there anything that I've missed that you want folks to know about? I don't think so. Just know that I'm nobody's, nobody's authority. That would be the one thing I say, whatever I say, take it with a grain of salt because I'm as fallible as the next man. So and yeah, absolutely. And and that's something I think I was I was talking to some missionaries from one of the groups uh the other day and uh you know we were being they were being clear about the fact that when a prophet speaks as a as a prophet, we're talking about a prophet, we're not talking about Dave Sanders. When a prophet speaks as a prophet, well, by all means, he's a prophet. But when he doesn't have the mantle of prophet hanging over him in a given moment, he speaks as a man. And I think if more people realized that and gave that kind of grace to the men who lead our groups, I think we'd be a lot better off. And I think a lot of us would be able to deal with uh, some of the shortcomings that every man has. Look, I, I maintain this. It is not fair to us as people to expect leaders to be perfect. 
it's not fair to us because we're setting ourselves up to be disappointed. Men are fallible. They're going to make mistakes. Likewise, it's not fair to the men who are who are in charge to expect them to be infallible. You have to get your own revelation on things. And you need to stand by that revelation, even if you have to stand what feels like alone for a little bit. Look, I, I had to do it on this podcast a, a couple times. And then out of the woodwork, I'm like, oh, I'm not so alone. I'm, I'm not out here by myself. I felt like it. But sometimes it just takes one person to say something to get others to, to stand up. Um, I believe fear is contagious, but I also believe courage is uh, contagious as well. Couldn't agree more. David, thank you so much for, I guess, letting me kind of host your show tonight. It's been a fantastic discussion. And uh, man, I can't wait to hear it. And then eventually after the podcast drops, we'll have a text version over at the Fundamentalist Online. I'm looking forward to reading it. So, well, not this part, but the rest of the magazine. It, so. it'll be the rest of the magazine's coming uh middle of uh 2014 or 2024 excuse me i can't believe i said 2014 2024 uh but this actual interview will be edited down and excerpted onto the fundamentalist online perfect all right thanks greg thanks a lot david talk to you soon bye everybody <laughs> Thank you.